When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the cinema. This is Kathy, and normally in this podcast, my husband and I walk to the cinema together and we review movies. However, I'm not with him today. I am going to see Darkest Hour, the movie about Winston Churchill's first few weeks as Prime Minister, and I'm going to see it on my own with my baby, Oscar. We're going to a mother baby screening, or should I say parent baby screening? Um, but excitingly, after this intro, when I come back, I'll be speaking to my dad, Jimmy, who guested on the show last year not to review Dunkirk, but in a bonus episode we did where he spoke to the historical inaccuracy of Dunkirk. And we got a really overwhelming response. Um, people really enjoyed listening to him and probably listening to someone who actually knows what they're talking about on our podcast for once. So what we're going to do is I'm going to try and phone him whilst recording myself talking if I can do that if not that won't happen we'll see how technologically advanced I am and um, so I'm going to see the movie now he's going to go and see the movie now and um, so that's going to be really fun and I'm not particularly expecting much from this movie it's not the kind of movie I'd go and see normally to be honest I'm going for a couple of reasons one it's the movie that's on at the parent baby screening this week Two, I really want to have my dad back on and it's kind of the perfect accompaniment to his Dunkirk episode. And three, Gary Oldman just won the Golden Globe and is getting lots of praise for this. So I'm interested to see his performance. And that's about it really. Um, so see you later. Bye. I speak to you for the first time as Prime Minister. The Germans have encircled 60 British and French divisions. We are looking at the collapse of Western Europe within the next few days. How long have they got if we don't rescue them? Maybe two days. We would need a miracle to get our men out. You have the full weight of the world on your shoulders. We're facing certain defeat on land, the annihilation of our army, and imminent invasion. We must negotiate peace talks. When will the lesson be learned? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth! Nonsense. The only slippery slope. Would you stop interrupting me while I am interrupting you? So I am back in our first ever cinema to be recorded over the phone. In the past, I have recorded with my dad, but that was a bonus episode. This time we're actually doing a review and I was going to walk and talk as I did this but it's lashing rain outside, so I don't want to do that. Um, welcome back, Dad. Well, thank you very much, Cathy, and pity about the weather. Um, and welcome back. This is the perfect movie for you to come back on because last time we spoke was about Dunkirk. Um, this movie is set right right before those events. Um, and you were so popular last time you came on that you've been elevated to a film reviewer now, not just a history buff. Oh, I'm taken aback. I'm taken aback. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Um, so we both watched this movie a day apart um, and to do this together, which is really fun. Shame we're not in the same country, but maybe next time. Um, so, Dad, overall, just a quick, what did you actually think of the movie before we get into the historical bits? The, the movie itself, 
uh, I suppose I was really going going to it with, with an eye of my history. But it, speaking of it as a movie, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it would have met all my expectations. I enjoyed it from beginning to end. Okay, and what did you think of the central performance? He's getting a lot of accolades for his portrayal as Churchill. Gary Oldman is. Well, in a way, I find it hard to assess never having met Churchill. The mm-hmm. so is he accurate to Churchill? That I can't. I, can, I can't really answer that. Uh, but the the style in which he approached it, he was consistent from start to finish, and uh, he seemed to play very well. Yeah, he's got. He's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. People are. I'm um, saying that he's going to be a serious. Oscar contender um, I went into the movie with not particularly much interest um, more excited to do the review with you than see the movie <laughs> um, and all, as always I am interested to see a movie that I know is getting a lot of awards buzz as well um, and being quite ignorant of these historical events and having seen Dunkirk last year I was more interested than maybe I would have been if I hadn't just seen Dunkirk Right. Um, but I have to say I found it a bit dreary, the movie. Um, I was interested in some of the conversations that were had, you know, the decisions that were being made. I enjoyed Gary Oldman's performance to a point, but then I felt like, I kind of felt like if you give anyone jowls and a cigar and that fat suit that he's wearing, maybe anyone could play Churchill. Now, I know he's a great actor and he mm-hmm. he did do a good job. I know it was a good job, but I mean, at this point, there was a movie last year called Churchill... There was a movie a couple of years ago with them. Um, Brendan Gleeson also played Churchill. I, I feel like he's been getting played a lot and I don't know how many more portrayals of Churchill I, I need to see on screen. He yeah. was also um, yeah. in The Queen, which is the Netflix drama. Did you see the movie last year, Churchill? No. No, but I, suppose, but at, at um, I think I, it was much smaller than this. Yeah. I, I suppose in this, in the context you're just looking at as a, one thing that I would have liked to see a bit more of I would have liked to have seen a few of the other characters developed a little bit especially Halifax yeah he was very much kind of the bit of the background villain but didn't get much screen time yeah well you've um, you've, you've had a Freudian slip there like in the term of the villain because I wouldn't call him a villain mm-hmm. at all uh, the okay he's more the villain of the movie than a villain yeah like and in in many ways it was a tussle between the two different perspectives the Churchill perspective and the Halifax perspective um but uh we were given i suppose zero back virtually zero background about Halifax virtually zero um other than the fact that he was a friend of the king personal friend of the king uh, so that I think is probably uh, a pity, probably a pity, because the circumstances were just slightly different. Yeah. It's, it's Halifax who would have been the prime minister, and it could the circumstances could have easily been slightly different. So I think just from a bit of a balance point of view, um, a little bit more uh, understanding of Halifax would probably have been helpful, and maybe a little bit less background on Churchill. Yeah, I would have found that interesting because being ignorant of pretty much all of them, um, I. I would have rather seen more of other characters than just him. I really enjoyed the performance of, um, his name's Ronald Pickup, I think. He played Chamberlain. I thought he probably gave the best performance in the movie. I really enjoyed him. But again, he had so little screen time that there wasn't much really to make of him. Um, yes. I really felt like the female characters, so the wife who was played by Kirsten Scott Thomas and the secretary who was played by Lily James, I just found them 
like the biggest cliche in the book, like the doe-eyed secretary and the the wife who could be, you know, a headmistress from another movie and who's just quietly standing by her man and supporting him in his every move, including when he's being, you know, he's being really vile and and horrible. She tells him off a little bit, but she's really just... I've waited for this moment my whole adult life for you to achieve your goals. (laughs) I found that a strange speech um, and a bit of a waste of such a talented actress. Um, And then there was... um, I felt like overall the direction wasn't great like I didn't feel like it was very tense but I know people who were really into the politics found it to be a great thriller so I don't know did you find it thrilling as you watched it well I think I wouldn't say I found it thrilling because I knew what the outcome was but I found it fascinating yeah. I found it fascinating mm-hmm. the like a few things that the film itself kind of confirmed to me or at least um, agreed with what I thought to be the case which is that the decision-making at the time was, it was assumed by all, all the people in the know, including Churchill, that they were looking, they were looking at the army being wiped out in Dunkirk. Um, there was no uh, belief that a success, successful evacuation could be done. And the film mm-hmm. captured that. Uh, like Another thing it captured is the disarray I suppose or if near disbelief that things could have moved quicker in weeks in France in the Second World War than they had in years in the First World War and that's for like because it, it was in the memory it was still in the, the memory of these people the First World War and that that is it, even today that's very hard to kind of grasp that things have moved faster in a week than in a year uh, on the ground the, so again, I think I thought it captured that very well. Like, like there was a, there were only about a three or four week period where all this happened, and so for for a war to begin and end in three or four weeks is it's a bit beyond comprehension, overwhelming. And then the other thing, it, it did yeah, capture, and it is interesting yeah. that. Go on. No, sorry, you go. Yeah, the like it, it also captured. Even though I agree with you, I think they probably gave him too much time in this kind of personal stuff. But it did capture that Winston Churchill was kind of a barely functioning alcoholic. Barely functioning. He was also, and it showed like he was ignorant of modern warfare. warfare. And if, as the film portrayed it, he was even um, ignorant of the facts on the ground. And I found that a bit strange, despite the fact that he'd actually been in the cabinet for, for, for the, a number of months before he became Prime Minister. Uh, so... The why on earth he see like a, on the face of it he seemed like a very poor very poor choice for prime minister, albeit as the picture as the film outlined he was the only one apparently acceptable by the opposition, but in terms of his own um, credibility for the job it was very dodgy. Yeah. yeah, and they made him out to be a bit of a warmonger. Like you felt like no matter who the antagonist was going to be, he might have been declaring war on anyone, and it just so happened that in this. In this instance, he ended up on the right side of history because it was Adolf Hitler. But the movie, I felt, implied a little bit that he would have gone to war with anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that what I thought beforehand, and that the film would have kind of also kind of taken the same, the same take on it, is that I think it's to Winston Churchill's kind of eternal credit that he seemed to be one of the first and one of the few to recognise what they were dealing with within Hitler who was an evil tyrant. Mm-hmm. Now, we, that's commonly known now, that he was an evil tyrant. But many people 
through the 30s, they actually seemed to be willfully blind, willfully blind to what they were looking at. Uh, Winston mm. Churchill, no. So while other people, now I'm talking about before, maybe before the war started, well, other people would have been apologists for him and for his behaviour. Now, Winston Churchill, from, from more or less from day one, he recognised what he was looking at. Uh, and yeah. uh, and he was absolutely spot on. Now, ironically, I think one of the reasons that he perhaps perhaps recognised this, and this touches your point, is that I would, in, in my opinion, Winston Churchill himself was a racist. And in the same okay, way as, as um, Hitler and company thought the, the Germans were on top of the human endeavour, uh, it's my view that Winston Churchill thought exactly the same about the English, and then to a secondary degree about the British. Okay. So I think he was a racist himself. Uh, but uh, and that might have it may have helped him to 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 to, to recognize what he was looking at, um, but there there the similarity ends because in no way was he an evil tyrant in no way, uh, mm-hmm. but but he did share that kind of um, the, that racist and indeed imperial view of the world. The, yeah, and they very much and yeah. um, very likely touched on in the movie how privileged he had been and. You know, he'd never gotten public transport and he's like drinking champagne at breakfast and he's, you know, yes, indeed. waited on hand and foot in this mansion he lives in. And that was interesting to me, not knowing much about Winston Churchill. I hadn't realized kind of how privileged he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, very yeah. much a very wealthy background as well. Yeah. If, if I could come back to Halifax for a minute, like at the time, I think I would have been very hard to disagree with Halifax's argument. And I personally, I probably would have go, gone for it. Um, which is that if the war continued as it was about to go, the army that they had, this British expeditionary force, was going to be annihilated. And you're talking mm-hmm. whatever number it was, two or three hundred thousand troops. And not only was it one army that was going to be annihilated, but that actually represented the whole professional British army. So the the best information that they had was that their army was about to be annihilated. Um. And Halifax's argument was that if you're going to go for, why wait for a kind of a suicidal situation and try and cut a deal from a position of, of albeit of weak, but of relative strength, relative to where you're going to be? And that was the mm-hmm. inf- that was the information they had. So it's it's very hard to argue the benefits of a suicidal mission. Yeah, and yeah. He, and he, I was thinking that yeah. I never knew um, that Britain was so close to being willing to surrender. I actually didn't know that, um, and that it was quite early on in the war as well. And um, so I was really interested because, with of course the benefit of hindsight, we know that Hitler would never really have have gone with that. He would have kept pushing and pushing because he wanted you know total dominance. But at the time, you're right; it would have made sense to try and strike a deal. Um, and it's interesting to see Winston Churchill portrayed on a couple of different levels one is that he's a bit of a warmonger he wanted to go to war but the other one was that he wanted to to nip the fascism in the bud and protect british the british isles um and i thought that gary oldman portrayed that really well that thought process and they even showed that phone call he made to the president of the united states when he was really desperate and i Mm -hmm. actually thought that was probably the best scene of the movie it was his most pared back performance it was just him with the phone and that was a really interesting unusual moment in the movie I think because the rest of it there's a lot of bluster going on yeah 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 like one of the things that um, it caused me to reflect upon is that if Winston Churchill had a strategy I certainly didn't see it Um, so to me Mm. he had no strategy 
Um, and therefore, yeah, the movie showed that I think he's kind of lurching from pillar to post trying to come up with ideas. Yeah, no, no, he, he had he had plenty of imperial rhetoric and pride, and and indeed he was a very good orator. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what that's not what wins wins battles. Um, at mm-hmm. le- least seldom wins battles. Um, not when you have a kind of the disparity that they had there. So the, the, the success of the evacuation in Dunkirk was, a, I think it's fair to say it was a fluke. It was a fluke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did prove to be a turning point. But that doesn't, that wasn't to be known uh, when the decision makings, when the decisions were being made. Uh, yeah, they kind of said that if they got a cloudy day, it would work, and if it wasn't a cloudy day, it wouldn't work, and it came down to the weather. Well, I th- it all, well, I th- I th- there was a number of factors afoot, but but the main factor was that for for reasons that have never been answered, is that the Germans paused. The Germans paused, mm-hmm. and there's there's as yet there's for whatever maybe there was a kind of a communicate communi- communication issue on their side or something, but they paused when they had when they had the army in their hand. Uh, and that gave the opportunity uh, for the evacuation, uh, but that that yeah. but but there's nothing to at least as I know it and as shown in the film, there was nothing that was done in London that generated that pause. So therefore, they cannot get any credit no. for it. Um, and it's really interesting to see this movie alongside Dunkirk because this movie is, you know your upper class elite making decisions and the Dunkirk movie is you're thrown right on the beach with these poor young men who are in the midst of it and actually to view them side by side and to have them out within a couple of months of each other is really interesting um, because you're looking at the carnage of what these decisions actually create Um, Mm -hmm. so I really enjoyed having watched them both together I have to say um, I thought if you you could almost put them in a split screen and look and look at Winston Churchill sitting down drinking his champagne and you know having a cigar and you yeah. get to look at the guys on the in the beaches. And to your point about the oration, I enjoy the line in the movie when somebody says he's just mobilised the English language. <laughs> I thought that was a good line. There was one other thought that I had that I hadn't had before. Um, before I watched the movie, like Winston Churchill's um, oration. He knows that we will fight and we'll fight them on the beaches, etc., etc. Um, like it, it, it's a good bit of rhetoric. And um, now that I think about it, there is um, Robert Emmett made a wonderful speech, the Irish Patriot, in eighteen hundred and three. Uh, just as uh, on his trial, and he was executed, I think, for treason. And if your listeners want to go back and read Robert Emmett's speech of 1803, they will find that um, it's a speech that was used down in one form or another many times. And indeed, it's often been it's been suggested it was the inspiration for the speech of Churchill, that that actual speech on the oh. beaches. Yeah. Um, which which uh, I've only remembered now in the course of this conversation. Uh, so oh. so so there is an Irish connection to it as well. But one of the points that I want to... And it does give you food for thought. Yeah, one of the points... Well, he was a trained orator. Like, he was he was back looking at his Cicero and various other people. And uh, that's one of the, one of the best mm-hmm. speeches that was made by an Irish, an Irish patriot, I suppose, ever. It was Robert, that Robert Emmett speech. Incident, inc- incidentally, his revolution was, was um, an unmitigated disaster. But his speech-maker <laughs> was excellent. Excellent. Now, yeah. whereas, as it happens with Churchill, he got the speech bacon right and he got a victory out of it. But the victory seems to have been virtually yeah. a coincidence. 
And just to, to bring the historical analogy to bear, if Robert Emmett's revolution had been a success, it also would have been a fluke because of the organisational aspect of it. But he didn't get it. Yeah. But there was another point I wanted to make, though, about that speech, which is this, is that fight to the bitter end was, was in essence, what he was saying. But that actually was mm-hmm. repeated time and time again by Hitler as the, as the war turned against Germany. And he insisted on... Um, the, or he kind of he resisted any evacuations when it would have been the sensible thing to do to make a tactical retreat. Time and again, he he resisted that and um, denied that opportunity to his generals, uh, leading to wholesale slaughter, unnecessary slaughter of German troops. So fighting to the bitter end, it's funny that it, it was it was the same approach actually was taken by Hitler later in the war, but to no avail, to no avail, other than the loss. Yeah, the it only sounds um, romantic. It has a romantic um, air about it when when you're speaking to the winning side. It it has a nasty air about it when when it's the losing side. <laughs> um, it's one of those things that again, through the lens of history, looks different. Now we have to get to finally before we go, right? The most contentious scene of the movie that I actually laughed out loud. And now I was on my own in the cinema laughing at like, <laughs> right, um, yeah, the train yeah. scene yeah. when Winston Churchill. Um, oh, I've never got public transport in my life, and then he gets out of his car goes down apparently only getting one stop on the district line which would take all of 30 seconds and for some reason it's like seven eight minutes on the train mm-hmm. meeting say in quotation marks the common folk mm-hmm. um who are kind of presented as these gaping mouthed idiots and they're all you know bowing to him on the train and we've since heard this did not happen um and winston churchill smoking his cigar and pontificating to everyone and it was such a ludicrous scene and i found it I found it to be particularly funny because it was just so silly because it so obviously would never have happened um, and the people were painted with such broad strokes um, as the common people and it almost felt like the filmmaker was really out of touch as well as Winston Churchill being out of touch but I know you have a slightly different read on the scene than what I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there was elements of the scene all right, just the way the scene was constructed playing to the gallery of some kind of oddball nationalistic gallery, um, mm-hmm. and I'd say, I don't think anybody suggests that is actually true. But I think what is true yeah. is that Winston Churchill he was able to in- sense and influence the mood of the country. Um, so while he had no support, it would seem, for his decision making in the the war cabinet, the people who are best informed, um. And he had some support, you know, in the House of Commons or more support in the House of Commons on the Conservatives there. Uh, and then maybe he had more support again with the, with the people outside of Parliament. So he was, he was able to catch the emotion that was floating and catch it and harness it. And I think that's what that scene was trying to capture. But I take your point. It was, yeah. it was uh, as a scene itself, I, I would have considered that probably the weakest part of the film, you know, by a long shot. yeah. It's a shame they did it. And it's. do you think, finally, my last question is more for myself as well as you. I know he's a great actor, Gary Oldman. I love him. He's one of my favourite actors. He's unrecognisable in this role. Right. Do you think an actor who's covered in that many prosthetics and has a constant prop of a cigar or a wine glass or whatever he has, do so, you think that that gives someone the... like If they get a Best Actor nomination or at a win for that... 
Yeah. Is, is that really fair? Because you've got a you've got so many props to hand, and you're you're obscured, and it, it feels like you're being given quite a head start over someone who's just actually playing a role and who isn't kind of doing this big pantomime performance, <laughs> big historical figure. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I, yeah. I it's a shame because he's a great actor. I'd like to see him rewarded for one of his other roles instead of it coming to this and just. You know, the typical, they say, award goes to if you're playing like a famous historical white man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and preferably if you change your appearance, then the Oscars come running. And it's a shame that in this stage of his career, he'd have to get to that <laughs> to, mm. to be, you know, winning Oscars. Yeah. Well, I think that I thought I thought the the actor who played Halifax, I thought that was a brilliant portrayal of a kind of a reserved aristocrat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but with uh very human in his own way i thought he was he was excellent actually but again the amount of kind of just in terms of the chance that he got to shine as an actor it was you know only a fraction of what churchill got yeah yeah i think just sitting there with a pen taking notes for most of the movie yeah i think it would have been it would have been a better film if there was less if the camera was on churchill for for less of the time Mm mm-hmm yeah, and that's yeah. I suppose. And it's funny because yeah. I've also seen um, the King's Speech. Um, is another one of these movies I have seen. Yes, and it's interesting that I found Colin Firth's portrayal of that king much more compelling than I found the portrayal of that king in this movie. However, that king was the star of that movie, and he's a sideline character in this one. So again, it's maybe not fair to compare the acting. They were played quite differently. Like Colin Firth played him with a very heavy stutter in that movie. In this one, it was more just like he had a very slight speech impediment. Mm. Um, and he was an Australian actor, actually. His name escapes me at the moment. But um, what did you think of him, his performance as the king? Yeah, well, going back to the uh, the Colin Firth one, because I saw that one as well. Um, like, I think he had an extremely bad stutter, at least when he spoke in, when he spoke mm-hmm. in public. Maybe it was more when he spoke in public he had, he had the stutter rather than speaking in private. So maybe the two mm-hmm. of them don't actually disagree because I'm not sure we heard the speed, the king's yeah. speech in public at all. I think it was public speaking was what no. he couldn't handle. Um, ah, okay, interesting. Yeah, so I enjoy. I did enjoy. Um, I it's it's fun to see different actors playing the same role. That always adds a bit of fun. But I think at this point now they can really put the they can really put the movies to bed with this because I just don't think we need to see another portrayal of Churchill yeah. anytime yeah. soon. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I certainly agree with you that. And even but in this film, I think Churchill. Was we saw too much of Churchill in this film, um, not taken away from yeah. the important role that he had, um, uh, but but they overdid even in the film itself. I think they overdid the Churchill bit. Yeah, and I think at this point, if you're going to make a movie about kind of unchecked patriotism in Britain, actually, it would be really, really compelling to watch a movie set around something like Brexit. At this point, you know. Um, with a bit of distance from that already, that could make for a really interesting movie. I'd love to see something around that because the politics are astounding around that as well, um, and it's almost it's almost far enough away from the vote that it could be done. <laughs> mm. um, so hopefully, I'm just a little bit sick at this point of of all all the books and movies, and you know, World War Two is so fascinating, but at the same time, there's lots of other wars to talk about, yeah. and there's lots of other things going on in the world, and there's a lot of retrospective um, looks at that. Um, so hopefully next time we talk, we can not talk about World War Two. We can talk about it something else. Yes. Well, you know what? An area that I would love to talk about, and, and I must see if there's a film on this already. It must change it out. Is that, you know, 
I found the decision making process extremely interesting and mm-hmm. for whatever the way things worked out here they got it right but like another decision making process when the Americans decided to go in to support the invasion of Cuba what became the Bay of Pigs uh, it's one of these it's these great examples of group think where they all were in agreement they were all were in agreement to go ahead with this and it turned out to be an unmitigated disaster um Despite mm-hmm. that, despite the facts looking at them in the face, um, but they still they got into a group, a group think mode, a group think mode, and off they went. Uh, so I, I find something that kind of shines a light into the decision making, you know, at turning points of history, absolutely fascinating, fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. But what one can learn from them yeah. though is another matter. Well, listen, I better get going, Dad. But thank you so much. Hopefully, at some point this year, um, we'll actually in person go to go to the cinema which would be quite fun <laughs> yeah Cathy it was a pleasure and thank yeah. you very much and good luck to the cinema okay bye dad see ya we shall defend our island whatever the cost may be we shall fight on the beaches we shall fight on the landing grounds we shall fight in the fields and in the streets We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! For without victory, there can be no survival. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. <laughs> to be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.